0: Let's uh, now turn in God's Word to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. We'll read this morning verses 32 through 35. Matthew 9, verses 32 through 35. God's people, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we're thankful that You speak to us, that You have not removed Your Word from us, You have not removed this lampstand, the church, this congregation, But you have upheld us thus far. Build us up now. And cause us to see the great power of our Savior and how how great your saving grace is. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-two. These are God's words. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Those are God's words. But once again, we come to another miracle... Performed by the Lord Jesus Christ that shows forth visibly to the eyes His great power and authority to save sinners from their guilt and their sins. Not only does He heal bodies and save bodies, but He saves souls. The first point this morning is the gift and privilege... Of the tongue. The gift and privilege of the tongue. You see in verse 32, it says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. Man, in our passage, it says, was dumb. That is, children, he could not speak. He could not speak like all of you speak. Every one of you here this morning has the ability to speak. But this man could not speak. And the first thing we have to consider, friends, is that the ability to speak is an undeserved privilege. This dumb man was no more wicked than any other, and no more wicked than ourselves apart from Christ. And yet he could not speak and we've heard in this chapter going through all these different miracles and these ailments and all our own ailments diseases etc they they all show forth what they all show forth our guilt they all show forth that we were conceived in sin and brought into this world in iniquity that there's sin in the world knowing The wages of sin is death. All of us deserve death. All of us deserve the eternal torments and everything bad and evil to come upon us, including some and all bodily diseases and ailments, cancers, etc. We don't deserve to speak at all. We don't deserve a voice, something that's idolized and exalted in our nation one having a voice, free speech. You don't deserve that. Again, he, he, this man was no more wicked than any others, and yet he could not speak. This man was also, it says, possessed by a devil or a demon. But this is not always the case with those who can't speak in Scripture. Matthew 15, it says, The great multitudes came unto him, having with them those who were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. There's no mention of demon the possession there. Or that the dumb man, or the dumb men, and women, whoever they were, had or were possessed by demons or devils. Same in Matthew 4, it says this, And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them there it doesn't mention the dumb, but it does mention being possessed with devils and we already seen and we've already seen in this chapter, those who are possessed of demons and yet they could speak very clearly. And so here's a distinction between there's a distinction between a normal illness, both the body and mind, between that and demon possession. And God's word does not distinguish, excuse me, does distinguish. Between demon possession and illness. Between demon possession and insanity. It's not true that demon possession is used in God's Word as a cover-all description for all kinds of physical ailments or insanity, only sometimes is the term used as it is here. So we need to be careful. There are many preachers today that say, you're demon-possessed, right? Uh, Just... Uh, Freely saying that. It's sort of part of the arrogance and pride of modern man that he thinks that demon possession is simply a superstitious description of certain ailments and their manifestation. But that's not true because the Scriptures distinguish between these things. And so whatever the cause that this man was dumb and, uh, and such an affliction has come upon Him, or came upon Him, as some in mankind have, this same thing come upon them. I, I have a neighbor who is, like the Scripture here says, is dumb, they can't speak. That's part of one of the many miseries of this life, that come as the effect of God's curse upon this world because of sin. So we don't deserve the gift of speech. We have no entitlement of any good thing at the hand of God, even. Not one of us. The Lord is able to give it to us and to take it and remove it. Luke chapter 1, it says, And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man... And my wife, well stricken in years, And the angels answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zecharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple, and when He came out, He could not speak unto them. And they perceived that He had seen a vision in the temple, for He beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And those who live, who are, die unconverted, with no faith, no repentance, only use their tongues, uh, what they say, to increase their guilt. The gift of speech is used often sinfully by men, and those who die in their sins will die having used their tongues in the gift of speech, if they've been given that gift, they will die with a weight of sins that the tongue has given them, and they'll be unforgiven to be brought out at the judgment seat of God upon them. The unconverted man or woman or child declares their supposed independence of a tongue, The independence of their tongue. Psalm 12, it says, "...they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said..." What's the tongue say? "...with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us?" Psalm 120, it says, "...deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips." And from a deceitful tongue, what shall be given unto thee? Or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? And so it's better to never have spoken than to die in sin with a vast multitude of those sins, of the tongue unforgiven, and calling for the vengeance of God upon you. And if you are Christ, a child of God today, then you must use your tongues... The privilege you have of your speech. You must speak well, righteously, the truth. And this is not always true of you. And that is certainly not always true of me. In James chapter 3, it says, "...for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths." that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven, and are driven of fierce winds, and yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, "...so is the tongue among our members, that it defile, defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell." And that He's saying to saints. And so let our tongues be filled with good things. My Proverbs 25, it says, "...a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver." Our tongues ought to be used for the honor of Christ. Speak well of Christ at all costs. That's the third commandment, at least an application of it. At all costs. Even when those who have gone before us and they spoke good words of Christ, and they were afflicted and persecuted and put to death... And while they still had breath, what did they do? We have examples of this in scripture. We have examples of this in church history. What did they do? They spoke well of Christ, even as they had, they were drawing their last breath. If God has given you the gift of speech, then speak well of Him at all times and speak well of others in a manner that honors Him as well. So He condemns, you know, gossip and, sl- and slander. And lying, the gift and privilege of the tongue. The second point this morning: Almighty power over Satan. Almighty power over Satan. You need to remember. Please remember this in your heart. Satan is not all powerful. Satan is finite. He is a creature. And Jehovah, our God, rules over him in everything. Satan is not all knowing. Satan is limited, as we see in Job. He cannot do whatever he wants. Verse 33 it says, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. When they brought this man to Christ, remember they brought him, just like they brought the paralytic, his friends brought the the paralyzed man, so they brought the dumb man who was possessed of a demon. To Christ. Those that brought Him did well because Jesus Christ is able to deliver from Satan's power because Satan is not all-powerful. Demon possession is a condition in which a distinct and evil personality outside of the one possessed has taken control of the individual. So someone outside of the person comes in and takes possession of them. And it's a devil, a demon, that does that. When a demon has taken possession, and they control the individual. And so demons or devils, we know from other scriptures, are fallen, sinful, rebellious, prideful angels under the direction of and service to Satan. And all of that, of course, is under the authority and sovereignty of God. But they are under the direction and service to Satan. And these men and women and children, throughout time and in the Scriptures, so demon-possessed, have as their father the devil. They have as their father the devil. And so their father sends a demon... To them to take charge over them. But Christ Jesus has the power to cast out demons because he has the authority and power over Satan and the demons and all demons. Why? Because he is God and he is sovereignly ruling and reigning over all things, even demons and Satan. And so if you're in bondage to Satan, which is true of all men naturally as we're conceived in the womb, if you're under the bondage of Satan, All those who are apart from Christ are under the bondage of Satan. Even though you might not be demon-possessed, still under the bondage of Satan. The activity of Satan and the demons is not confined to actual possession. But here the possession, the demon possession, gives us a picture of the greater reality that you can't see. The demon possession can be seen because of the outward acts that are happening because of the demon possession. And so he gives us an illustration of what that which cannot be seen, that which is true of the soul, that which is uh, all men who are apart from Christ are in bondage, slavery, in prison to Satan, the devil, as their father. And we see here that Jesus can save them by His almighty power. And He can set them free from that bondage. And He alone. John chapter 8, it says, Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but He sent me. Why do ye, Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not." And so if you don't believe and you don't listen even right now to Christ Jesus, what His Word says, and you believe on Him for salvation, it's because you're of your father the devil. We also learn in Scripture that false doctrine, that makes sense, false doctrine comes from Satan because he's the father of lies. 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 2 Timothy 2, it says, "...and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, the trap of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will." And heretics are in bondage to Satan. They're taken captive by him. But it's not only heretics, it's all men by nature, as we just read in 2 Timothy 2, all men by nature are under the power and dominion of darkness. Under the power and dominion of the devil, Satan. Colossians 1, speaking of God's people, it says, who have believed on Christ, and it's saying that He delivered us from well to be delivered from that bondage under the power of darkness means you must first be in bondage and under the power of darkness this bondage is real friends not only based in Satan tempting us to evil and sin but there is even in the heart of each one of you who is not in Christ Christ Evil, an evil, unbelieving heart. And a readiness to run in the ways of sin and Satan. Those who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if that is you, then this is true of you. When the gospel begins to be preached in your ears, as it is today, right now, Satan works in your heart since you're in bondage to him. And he's saying, no need to listen to this. I'm fine as I am. That's what you th- you're thinking. I'm fine as I am. Because he's, he's bringing, he's taking that word that is being preached and he's snuffing it out, right? Taking it away. Isn't that true? When you hear the word, the truth, when you hear God's word, you say, I don't need this. I don't need to be told this. But the truth is, friend, above all things, you need to be told this. You need to hear this. You need to hear that Christ is the Savior and, uh, of Him and your desperate need of Him. But Satan takes occasion through the pride of our hearts to tell to tell you, if you're not in Christ, to tell you, you don't need to hear of Christ. You have no need of Him. You don't need to listen to hear about your sin and the judgment to come and how you can be saved. And are freely offered eternal life and every good thing forever. You don't need that. He tells you in those moments every time everything is fine. You're all right. He even does that, tempts us, tempts Christians to think that as well in the preaching of his word. Mark 4. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And how often the gospel is preached and the seed is sowed and that seed is taken away by Satan. Has this happened to you when hearing God's word? Satan comes immediately and takes his word away. You forgot it. You felt like, I don't have any need for this. I already knew that. Perhaps you're beginning to see your sins and that is all not well with you. And then Satan tempts you, saying, don't worry, it's all going to work out in the end. This is just a rough patch. John 8 again, it says, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. The truth is, you cannot make amends For your your sins. Because God, whose name is Jehovah, demands perfection at all times. Perfect righteousness before Him. You cannot make yourself better. And even if you could make yourself better, that would not in the least alter the guilt that is attached to you, that you have because of your past transgressions and sins. Only Christ can deliver you. From your guilt. And that's why if you're not a Christian and you have not publicly professed faith, you must cry to this great deliverer, Jesus Christ, to deliver you from your sin, from your pride, from your unbelief, from your bondage to Satan that you're under. Look at what Jesus does. He has the power and authority over Satan and all devils so as to cast the devil out of the man who was dumb, who couldn't speak. And he's cast out. And he begins to speak, because Christ healed him. And if he can do that for the man who can't speak, how much more can he do that for you here today, and in your soul, to save you from an eternity of judgments to come? He can. Only He can. And so only come to Him today. That is your only option, is to come unto Jesus Christ today to be healed just like this man in your soul. Almighty power is what is seen here. So that the multitudes marveled The multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. Almighty power over Satan. The third point this morning, pride's blasphemies. Pride's blasphemies, verse 34. But the Pharisees said... He casteth, that is Jesus, casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. So He casteth out devils through Satan. Or as it says in the other Gospels, He cast out devils through Beelzebub, which is Satan. The people marveled. They had good reason to marvel. For here is a man who could not speak at all, and everybody knew he couldn't speak. And he was possessed with a devil, and now he's not, and now he can speak. They'd never seen anything like this. But the Pharisees were envious. They were jealous. Their position, their standing as the religious authorities of the day was threatened. And so the, the results on accusing the the result is that they accuse Jesus of using satanic power to deceive in casting out demons and that should be ironic to you or doesn't make much sense to you and yet that's their that's what they say Jesus is casting out devils the followers and those under the authority of Satan by Satan And in Luke chapter 11, Christ actually answers the Pharisees. He does not do that here. But in Luke 11, He answers and He says this, "...but He, knowing their thoughts..." Notice that he, he knew their thoughts. "...He said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against it himself..." As the Pharisees seem to be saying, Jesus is doing, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come unto you, or come upon you. In other words, it's completely contradictory and contrary so that it's not possible that Christ casts out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. But notice in our passage in Matthew's Gospel that Matthew focuses not on Christ's response because it's not here. But the lengths to which pride will go, that's what he focuses on as the response to this healing of the man who could not speak and who was possessed of a devil. The lengths to which pride, the pride of man will go. The many miracles, including this one here, were undeniable. Multitudes upon multiple, multitudes saw them some of the people experienced them sooner or later they find the Pharisees finally acknowledged the miracles at least revealed to us John 11 it says then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said what do we for this man doeth many miracles they knew what he was doing And they asked for a sign. But they already knew. Asking for a sign was just an excuse. They already knew who was doing the miracles, and He had done so many of them. Even then after the exaltation of Christ in Acts chapter 4, after He ascended on high, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the council, trying to suppress Peter and John, what did they say? Saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. This is their same thinking with Jesus. But they they, they really wish to deny it all. That it weren't true. And that's where there's a dilemma with them. They either have to acknowledge the power and authority of the divine Christ... And believe on Him, which means they have to abandon all their pride, their love of position, and standing among the people, the love of their self-satisfaction and their own imagined righteousness, or else they must find an excuse. The only one open to them with their sinful hearts that are in bondage to Satan is to say yes it's a miracle they have to acknowledge that no no way around it it's a miracle but it's a satanic miracle it's a satanic one attribute attribute the, the miracle to satan they can't deny it happened, and so they're questioning, how do we get rid of this? How do we get out of this? Because the one thing that they saw is a complete non-option for them was to own Christ and believe on Him. That's the heart of an unbeliever. To believe on Him. No, they could not do that. Not in their pride. And so their conclusion, the only answer they could give, they determined, yes, it's a miracle, but it's of Satan. Satan. Our conclusion is that's terrible. No, far worse than terrible, friends, that they said that about Jesus. It's not just terrible what they said. We need to understand what Jesus says about them, that it's blasphemous. They're in bondage to Satan, pride, their self esteem. They can't do anything. And you say, you say, I say, how dreadful that is. No, it's much worse than that. It's much much worse than that. They say, it's of Satan. Look at all, and think of it another way. Look at all these miracles, Pharisees. Well, it's not because they're from God. They're from Satan. Because that's what the children of Satan do. They give all credit to who? Satan. That's their design. That's how they, that's how Satan has them in such bondage to give them, give him the credit. And we say, well, that's terrible. Without the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, every one of us would sooner blaspheme Jesus Christ. Publicly, as they did, than trust in Him. That's the extent of our depravity outside of Jesus Christ. We would rather, if pressed to it, rather blaspheme Jesus Christ to His face publicly than own Him. John 3, it says, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And why are their deeds evil? Because they're in bondage in darkness. To him. To Satan. Men would do anything, anything, then depend upon Christ. When the sinner is called to repent of their sins and trust in the Savior, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they shall be saved. And that's the one thing that the sinner is most opposed to doing above all else. And that's why people of all sorts. They'll do all sorts of things to try to earn salvation or try to find peace within themselves, for themselves. Because by nature, we would rather openly despise Christ than to come and utterly depend upon Him. And so the Gospel, uh, contrary to that, the Gospel is good news to sinners. It's not bad, it's not evil. It's not everything to be avoided. It's everything to be received in love. The Gospel is good news to sinners, but sinners must come without money and without price to the Lord Jesus Christ. With nothing they have to Him. And yet they don't. And because they don't, it's bad news to them because they won't. Unless their hearts are changed by the Spirit. And so how evil pride is. How evil pride is that we'd sooner blaspheme our way to hell then believe on Christ and follow the narrow way that leads to glory. And so we need to depend upon the Spirit of God for genuine conversions. When we're thinking, Christians, about conversions, we need to depend upon the Spirit. Not manufactured decisions for Christ or manipulative conversions, but genuine, by the Spirit. What use is it going out with the, the Gospel thinking there's something in the heart of man that is desirous of Christ? There isn't. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in, in the heart. And the men and women and children will not come to Him for life unless there is a work of the Spirit in the heart. But again, maybe you're not a believer and you say, I've never done this. I've never blasphemed before. And the reason you haven't is because you found a less bold way of justifying your unbelief. You weren't pressed far enough. You've told yourself, perhaps my problem isn't with the gospel, but the way it's preached. Christian you need to listen to this too. Of course. You're not. The problem isn't what is what is spoken, it's the way it's preached. But that's not the problem at all. The reason you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is because you have an evil heart of unbelief. Or else you'd say, well my situation is is different from others. That gospel message that's okay for others but not suitable for me. You might say, well, no, friends, it is very suitable for you. It's completely suitable for you and everyone. You say, it's not what I need, but it is. Exactly what you need. It's exactly what you need. You're a sinner in God's sight. Exposed to His wrath. And Jesus is the only Savior of sinners. The only one who has bore the guilt of sin and death in His death on the cross. He alone can save you from your sins and the eternal torments. He alone. And that's exactly what you need to hear. And that's exactly what you need to believe. He's a Savior of the guilty. And you're guilty. You need this Savior or you're going to die in your sins. You cry out to Him for mercy upon you, that He would show that mercy upon you and shower you with His grace. He will save you. He will if you cry out to Him. Here's the Savior, friends, that you need. The Savior that casts out devils. The Savior that causes the, the dumb to speak. The Savior that heals all matter of diseases. Body and soul. And he alone. Verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And to Matthew's Jewish belief, Jewish hearers, as we're hearing in the evening, And hearing here in Matthew. That's a great response because it says, it shows forth he's the Messiah. He's the Christ, the anointed one to come. And the Pharisees are there saying he's of Satan. But he's not. Jesus' message is the gospel of the kingdom. There's nothing like it either. It's the gospel of the kingdom to which you must make sure you're a part of. That kingdom. His kingdom. Are you in the kingdom? Have you come and bowed the knee to the king and promised all submission unto him? Because he reigns and rules over all. Does he rule your heart? Have you come to the king, Jesus Christ, and asked for entrance into his kingdom? A kingdom, Hebrews 12, it says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. It's a solid kingdom, unlike Satan's kingdom which will be destroyed. And it's already promised that he'll be destroyed. And that kingdom, destroyed. Why would you be, why would you want as your father the devil and be part of his kingdom when it's gonna be destroyed? You're a loser in this kingdom. But there's victory in Jesus Christ, in His kingdom. Don't you want to be in the victorious victorious kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom of which Christ is reigning over all, He sends forth His Spirit, and men and women and children are made willing subjects, citizens of the kingdom of grace. The gospel saves rebels and sinners unto Christ's kingdom, having removed them from the kingdom of the devil, storming the gates of Hades and stealing souls for His kingdom. That's what Christ does. Through this gospel, through King Jesus, He makes rebels into willing servant, zealous, joyful servants. And He comes to you And He speaks. And to those who believe on His name, hating their sin, He saves and He heals completely. Friends, Jesus Christ is alone, the Savior of sinners. If you want freedom from your bondage, that bondage under the tyranny of the devil, then you are to come to Christ today and He'll save you. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You again for Your Word. We pray that You would cause cause the many here to believe upon You. To turn from their sin and hate every evil and false way that is every way of the devil. And love the truth. Knowing Your Word is truth. And why is Your Word truth? Because Your truth. And so, Father, cause Your people to come unto You and to put off every sinful way, even the sinful fire of the tongue, in which we all cause great harm and damage. But make our tongues pure. Our hearts are filled with pride often, but make our hearts pure. And so whether it be body with our tongues or in our soul with our hearts, make us pure in Christ your Son alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.